Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Annalee Newitz, a science journalist, science fiction writer, and contributor to the New York Times opinion section. They are the author of the book Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age, and the novels The Future of Another Timeline and Autonomous, which won the Lambda Literary Award. And now, here's our first letter. I'm very, very excited to dive into this next letter. Um, oh, my God. I'm glad you have to read it because it's quite long. And and I need you to know, I whittled this down. <laughs> this used to be <laughs> twice as long. And um, oh my. have a great time. Go, go I, ahead. I it. am. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. All right. Subject. Can't stand my widowed father's new idiot girlfriend. Dear Prudence. It has been just over two years since my mother died suddenly. My father has found a new girlfriend, and while she clearly makes him happy and seems to have relatively good intentions, I despise her. I am disappointed in my father for making her his new partner. My mother was a feminist with deep faith in female potential. She was brave, inquisitive, open-minded, and autodidactic. We often clashed the way mothers and daughters do. But since her death, I increasingly see how similar we are and how much of her values I see in myself. The woman my father has been dating is none of these things. She is astoundingly ignorant and willfully uninformed. She has no awareness of major news or events, no interest in history or culture. She didn't vote. Unlike my parents, who grew up poor and worked through university, This woman came from opportunity and privilege, and so her ignorance seems to be a choice. She moved in with my dad after just a few months of dating and seems to have left her teenage son in the care of her ex-husband who lives in a different state. She has inarticulate politics, but but what is articulated is offensive and bigoted. She is petrified of the world around her, not for all the reasons the world is legitimately terrifying right now, but rather in the way a child is afraid of the dark, fear of the unknown. She is young compared to my dad. She was still a minor when I was born. She loves to talk loudly and endlessly about nothing, and I find myself furious that I have to politely sit through hours of her drivel in order to spend time with my father. The only consolation is that my partner and I have privately mocked her, much to our cruel amusement, which, while fun, leaves me feeling ashamed. My dad and I never had much of a relationship before my mother's death. They were married for nearly 40 years and were the definition of soulmates if there ever was one. He loved my mother deeply, and because my mother and I fought a lot, he passed a lot of judgment on me in my adulthood. He was devastated after she died, and although it doesn't sound like it, I am really glad that he has found some happiness. But I can't help but feel profoundly disappointed that this person specifically is who makes him happy. How could he have loved my mother in all her strength and also be interested in this person? 
Does he really have no desire for a woman who at the very least can keep up with him? How is my own father such a pathetic male cliché? I also recognize my hypocrisy. My disdain isn't exactly working toward female solidarity. I can also see how my irritation may seem petulant. But I can't help but feel that this woman is an embarrassment to my gender. I do not want her to be part of of my family, which is now just my dad and myself, but may include grandchildren, even though I understand it is a reality I must accept. I am an adult, and I'm grateful that this new woman isn't going to be my new mommy or anything, but I am having a really difficult time knowing how to act. What can you tell me? How do I find appreciation and acceptance and maybe even love for someone so antithetical to everything I respect? How can I be a good daughter and also a good feminist? So much to unpack here. Yeah, I thank you. That was a, a masterful reading. Yes, I, I tried to give some dramatic flair. Yes, and there was already <laughs> plenty of dramatic flair there. Where do we, where do we want to start? I, I had an observation about a pattern that I saw in this letter writer's life which is that she doesn't like the women that her father is with. And I think, you know, she says right off the bat that she and she loved her mother, but they clashed all the time so much that her father apparently was still either upset or judgmental. Something about it was so extreme that it seems like her father was upset about it later. Um, this That may be the letter writer's perception. We don't know because the father doesn't have a voice in this letter, but um, it it sounds like it was pretty extreme. And now dad's dating a new woman and everything is wrong with this woman. And it sounds like she'd really like to have a fight with this woman the way she used to with her mom. And so that makes me wonder what's really going on with her and dad. Like, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff being projected onto mom and onto possible new mommy who she disavows as being new mommy but still calls her new mommy um what what's up with that relationship with the dad they weren't very close he judged her what's up with that yeah i i also my sense from this letter was that there were a number of really different sometimes even contradictory beliefs or narratives about different relationships in the letter writer's life. And I, I want to start too, just by really being clear, a lot of this makes sense to me. Um, you know, you've had a complicated relationship with both of your parents. Your mother died suddenly two years ago. You two had a really complicated relationship, but there's actually a lot about her that you see in yourself and you value in yourself. So in some ways, it sounds like your your idea of your relationship to your mother has changed a lot since she died. And, and I don't want to make light of any of that. All of that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, let yourself be disappointed in your dad and don't think that that's a problem you have to fix. I, I don't mean that to say, like, just write him off or don't care about him. Of course, it can be complicated. But fundamentally, it does not need to be a problem that you don't like your dad's girlfriend. Um, it doesn't need to be a problem that you and your dad continue to have a fraught relationship. It doesn't need to be a problem that the two of you like really different kinds of people. Um that's not necessarily going to be fun for you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to cultivate a really close relationship with him. But I think it will help you to remember, like, my father and I weren't really close when he was married to my mother. Now that he's with somebody else, 
we're also not close and I need to figure out how to limit, you know, if I'm spending hours, quote, like listening to her drivel in order to be near to my father, who I like can't believe I'm disappointed in, just like, again, like, you know, the field of psychoanalysis was invented to help, you know, modern humans deal with the disappointment of the father. Like, you are not alone. This is not unusual. I don't say that to make light of it or to dismiss it as just like, everyone's got a real bad dad. Who cares? Next. Um, but just to say, like, this is not new or shocking or or this awful problem. Like, you have a disappointing father. It's kind of fathers in a lot of ways. Like, the the, the it's sort of set up to be disappointing for a number of reasons. So, it's fine to be disappointed in him. You don't really love his values, it sounds like. And from what you write here, I don't really love them either. I would I would probably also want to keep my distance from this guy in a number of ways. So I, I think that would actually like paradoxically release a lot of the tension because it, it really feels like you're you're saying like someday I'm gonna have kids and I'm gonna have to spend even more hours listening to her drivel. And there's no in-between either like silently suffering through whatever she has to say and then being a bitch about her in the car with my partner or, you know, finally standing up to my dad and giving him this laundry list of why his girlfriend is just like a worthless piece of shit and then we never talk again. Like, if those are the only two options that you have given yourself and you also think it's kind of my job to find a way to love her, you are setting yourself up for so much unnecessary work and pain and self-recrimination and failure. And I don't want that for you. Yeah, the um, the bit about learning to love this um, partner of her dad's that really stuck out to me too. Like that 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 was that there was something kind of extreme. Like it was like either yeah she's garbage or I learned to love her. It's yeah. like or you could just learn to accept that dad has an annoying partner and she's annoying. You know, lots of people are annoying. You don't have to live with them. I hope. We don't know that, <laughs> but you know, it, it, you can limit your visits with them. I also like, I, I wonder if there is something to maybe this letter writer needs to have some kind of relationship with her dad outside of her dad's relationships with women. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it seems like there's a lot of stuff that, you know, she's feeling about him that gets kind of buried in this litany of like failures of this woman, this woman who feels mythological to me. Like she starts out as an annoying, like nattering, whatever. And then by the end, she's an embarrassment to all of humanity. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. Like that's a lot for one lady. I also wonder if, yeah, I, I, that was also a lot. And I think one of the um, solutions there is, do not expect that every woman you meet is going to feel like someone that you stand in gender solidarity with. I mean, my God, what kind of a burden is that? Like, she can just be a lady you don't like. Um, it it really can be. You can, you can also certainly think, like, I don't think much of her choices. And, you know, she she reminds me of certain, like, sexist stereotypes that I don't like to think about. But, you know, my God, if I, if I expected that every trans person I met was going to feel like, you know, uh, uh, a sibling in arms, you know, I, I can expect certain things from other trans people or feel a general sense of, of, of collective, um, shared interests, although not always shared interests, but sometimes I just don't, we don't like each other and it's, 
you're just, you're never going to like everyone just because they have something in common with you. So, you know, you can certainly say like, you know, due to my interest in feminism, I'm glad she has the right to vote, even though she chooses not to exercise it. But that doesn't mean that she's like a a fallen fellow Valkyrie who like you should be, (laughs) you know, braiding each other's hair and quoting Rilke to one another. And somehow you need to get back to that like Edenic way of relating to one another. Um, and yeah, as as you as Annalie, as you were bringing up, you know, the way in which she's getting so much of the focus of your hostility, and it's like, you know, she, my my partner and I will mock her for a long time, and you know, I'm certainly not here to say that there's no place to ever blow off steam by like bitching about somebody who you just had to spend time with, but like, if you're only venting about her and you're not spending much time thinking about like what does it say about my dad that he enjoys these conversations. I mean, that says something about him too, as as you know, I think, but it's just sort of like, she's the idiot and he's like this puzzle, this enigma. He he must be being fooled in some way or, or something. And so I just, you know, save a little bit of that for him. Although I do think you can also just scale some of it down. I guess, you know, I just want to, you say that you, you your parents were soulmates in every definition of the word. And gosh, I don't want to like, tell you that you can't think of your parents as soulmates. But what you described in this letter sounds like a complicated marriage, one where uh, your father sometimes treated what sounds like you when you were a child um, as a sort of like enemy of his wife's. Um, and and I think they, it sounds like, had flaws, <laughs> loved imperfectly, parented imperfectly, and had a challenging relationship. Um, I, I also believe that they loved each other and that he was devastated when she died. But this idea that they were the definition of soulmates, I think is part of the key to why this is so hard. Is it's feel like my parents had to be soulmates, which means this new woman has to be a referendum on the person that my mother was. I have to be close with my father now, even though we've never been close. I've got to find a way to love her because someday she's going to be the grandmother to my children, even though I don't like her. And so you just, you have these really big, intense feelings about how people ought to feel about one another. And when that doesn't work out, as inevitably it doesn't, you feel huge waves of recrimination and resentment and hostility. And and that comes with the sense of, but I can't say any of that. Because if I say any of that, then our family will fall apart and it will be revealed to be a fiction. We failed to be soulmates. We failed to be idealized parent and child. Um, so a lot of this is really big. I want to try to get specific, which was what I was recommending the last letter writer do. You are spending too much time with your dad and his new girlfriend. You need to spend a lot less time with them. You need to talk about with your partner, not in a venting way, but like figure out what's the difference between something she says that you find annoying and what's something she says that you find bigoted. Figure out a polite way to object to the bigoted stuff. That's fine. You're definitely allowed to say, I disagree. You should say, I disagree, especially if it's about bigotry. Um, Start politely disagreeing uh, and do that. Yeah, and I also think, you know, we have to take seriously that this letter writer has not been very close with their dad and does seem to be yearning for some kind of connection with him, maybe separate from his girlfriend. And that's, I'm wondering if they can plan, you know, outings or events where, you know, she can spend time with her dad and get to know him. And, you know, maybe they can do something where one day 
Uh, she and her dad go for a walk and girlfriend and her partner stay home and make dinner. You know, they're just, you know, like plan ways to have a connection where you don't have to deal with this irritating person and and minimize their their presence in your relationship with your dad. Yeah, it's it's totally, you know, it's not like you're saying, you know, don't bring her over ever again if you're saying I'd like to occasionally get coffee just the two of us. That's totally understandable. Yeah. Um but yeah, you do not need to appreciate her. I, I don't think you want to appreciate her and that's fine. You need to be polite to her. You know, you need to act as if you are not the arbiter of who your father dates because that's just true. But beyond that, if you just feel like my dad has a girlfriend I don't like or respect, kind of affects the way I think about him. And we've never been close, but he's also my dad and I love him. And sometimes I try to make a relationship between us feel, you know, deeper or or more rooted in a real honest understanding of who the two of us are as people. All that would make a lot of sense. Those are all meaningful, compelling, non-contradictory feelings. I just think you need to get away from this idea that this person is a referendum on who your mom was or that you, your mom and dad were soulmates or that you and your dad are about to have this amazing relationship. You, you can just be disappointed in him some of the time and still love him. That's allowed. Yeah. And this has nothing to do with you being a good feminist or not. This is not this is not a grand like moral issue. This is like I don't know, it's like office politics. You know, like ideally we would all love to love all of our colleagues. In reality, some of them are annoying and you have to deal with them every day. Some of them are great. It's not going to be like on a sitcom, a work family sitcom where everybody, you know, is there for each other at the end of the day. And, you know, that's that's how the family is too. You know, it's not perfect. It's not ideal. There's some people who are annoying. You know, maybe you're going to get to know your dad better and it's going to turn out he's annoying too. And the reason why he's dating a a stereotype gender person is that he's a stereotype gender person. And maybe you just want to limit how much time you spend with them in general. That's fine. It's just people, you know, they're just personalities. They're not archetypes so far. Yeah. And I'll just wrap this up with, luckily, there is pretty much no... Uh, rigorously thought out definition of feminism that is you got to like every woman you meet or even you got to like every woman your dad dates. Don't worry, that's not part of it. And you can be loving and compassionate and polite towards your parent, but I I don't know that saying I want to be a good daughter is necessarily a worthwhile goal because I feel like often what that carries with it is a sense of how can I make sure that I never upset my father? That felt like the implied thing here. Um, that's it. Good luck. All right. So sticking with the theme of complicated female relatives, uh, the subject of our next letter is sister is obsessed with her animal rescue. Dear Prudence, my sister Avery runs an animal rescue. At first, she only took in a few animals. As word spread, she began receiving donations and volunteers. Over the last few years, the rescue has come to consume every aspect of her life. Sometimes her organization cannot rescue an animal due to legitimate constraints like budget, space, volunteers. If the people asking for help push her, or if she dwells on that animal's case for too long, she will decide to save that animal no matter the cost. There is always an animal in need, and she never rests. She barely sleeps. Avery's mental and physical health are shot, And lately, she's been throwing her entire being into saving animals with very grim medical prognoses. I worry about her all the time. 
I want to support Avery, but she shuts down whenever I ask her to speak with a counselor. She presses my husband and I for time and money we cannot offer. I don't know what to do to help or how to break her increasingly manic behavior. You live in San Francisco. I don't want to be relying too heavily on stereotypes, but I've also lived in San Francisco. I know this type of person, and this makes me sad. Yeah. It's hard to know what what to say in a sense because we don't know enough about I mean we know that this is a person who is setting aside seemingly her health um and her well-being to take care of these animals. It sounded like she's running an animal rescue, so it's not just is it just her or is it a whole nonprofit organization? I wasn't really sure about that. I I kind of feel like that makes a difference because I mean people who work in nonprofits do this to themselves all the time. You know, it doesn't really matter if it's animals or digital liberties uh, or whatever you're working on. So I wondered about that. I wondered if it was about the animals or if it was more of a workaholism thing or kind of both. Yeah, or I think oftentimes, especially in anything that has to do with animals or anything that has to do with a a sort of like industry that's driven by feelings of compassion or worry, you know, because, you know, you go into that field thinking, well, of course, this is a worthy cause that can snowball sort of easily into every cause is worthy. There is never a time when I can turn away from someone else's suffering. Therefore, if I become burned out or exhausted or broke, that is a necessary sacrifice because of the goodness of this cause and the rightness of this cause. And in fact, it is an indicator that I am the only person who really cares about, you know, in this example, relieving the suffering of animals. Anyone who tells me that I need to scale back or prioritize myself is telling me to kick a dog into the street and watch it die. And and I don't say that to make light of it. I just mean that's, that's where the mindset will take you pretty quickly. Um, I am the last line of defense between, you know, nature red in tooth and claw and these wonderful suffering animals who I must save from death, even though death is coming for all of us. And yeah, I I, I can see both why this is distressing for you to watch as someone who loves Avery and also why Avery is incredibly resistant to any suggestion that building a life that is sustainable and includes rest and not 24-7 devotion to the cause is like why are you asking me to not be me? Or why are you asking me to stop caring about animals? She's really unable to take off those goggles. I wonder what the letter writer can do concretely for Avery that she isn't doing already. She's she's had to say no to Avery's requests for money and time. So she sounds like she's setting a boundary, which is good. But it also sounds like she's worried that Avery needs counseling which is just one of those things, it's very hard to say. I mean, we can't diagnose Avery. What do you think? Should she should she have a, another conversation with Avery? Should she try to distance herself more? Yeah, I've been going back and forth on that one too. It is hard um, in part because sometimes people pursue a goal or a course of action that hurts them. And... Sometimes you can try to offer an intervention and hope that that plants a seed. And sometimes it doesn't plant a seed or rather the seed takes a really long time to germinate. And to a certain extent, people are allowed to hurt themselves um, 
you know, and to to me, this falls into the category of it's not immediately life threatening. Um, it's not the kind of thing that would justify the kind of intervention where you would say she she no longer has the capacity to make her own decisions. So you're really looking at how able is she right now to reconsider her perspective. And um, given that, what are practical things that I can do? So I think depending on how comfortable you are with the possibility of real conflict, I think you you can once revisit the counseling thing, not with, I think you need to go see a therapist, but to say, I've suggested before that I want you to see a therapist and I understand why uh, you haven't liked that. So I'm not going to keep telling you to do that. I'm not going to continue to give you advice. I do want to say that I have seen you go from, you know, meaningfully involved in this animal rescue to constantly in crisis mode. And I don't believe that in order to help animals, you need to be constantly in crisis mode. I don't believe that that's good for you. And I don't believe that that's the best way to live out your values. I I hope that you will take that into consideration. I hope you will realize I'm not trying to tell you to stop caring about these things or that these animals don't matter. It is really hard that you can't help everyone. But I do think that it will be better for you and the animals in the long run if you start with, I can't help everyone as a foundational premise. And what I want for you is a long-term sustainable animal rescue and a life where you get good sleep and you have systems in place so that if you're ever, you know, out of town or sick, there's a backup. It's not just we rely on you to be 24-7 available to be in emergency. And, you know, feel free to condense that or say it in your own language. But I think that that is what I would say. And that way you can make it clear that your goal here is for her to be able to continue doing this work, not you care too much, you have to stop caring, it's no longer important. Because I think that would really get her defensive. Even if, by the way, privately you think this has turned into, uh, you know, uh, an opportunity for like animal hoarding and or self-harm. And I really wish you would just, you know, <laughs> go learn a trade and become a a, a, a welder. Um, you know, that one you would maybe keep to yourself. Yeah, I mean, humans are animals too, right? And we we need to engage in in caretaking, um, basic caretaking, food, water, sleep, all the things that you would want for your rescue animals. You need to have for yourself too. And that's that's going to be what's going to allow you to keep caring for other animals, non-human animals. So yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. So, you know, and then I think go into that with incredibly low expectations. Just make it your goal to say that as compassionately and as clearly as you can. And to say, you know, I'm going to let you decide whether or if you want to think about any of those things. If you ever want to talk to me about that, I'm available. But from now on, I don't have any more money or time that I can put into this endeavor because I don't believe that it's sustainable. And that doesn't mean that I think it's bad and you need to quit. It just means that my ability to participate in it is done. She won't like that. So, you know, go into that expecting that she won't like it. Um she may say, you know, this means you don't care about animals and you're just going to need to like, I think, prepare yourself for like, she is not in a place that's really consistent with reality about this right now. I get why she's saying that. I don't need to, uh, I don't need to agree with it and just, you know, kind of say like, okay, if that's how you feel about it, that's okay. But my, I'm, st- I'm sticking with that one. Um, and then beyond that, you know, you hope. You hope that she will eventually decide this is not the way that she wants to live. And um, you try to focus on other things in your life 
And again, that's hard because she's your sister and you love her and you want her to be well. Um, And it's very, very hard to focus on other things when somebody you love is suffering and you think, you know, what will help. But, you know, if you going into constant round the clock emergency mode, we're going to help Avery. Then like by the transitive property, her going into a round the clock emergency mode would help all those animals. So I think maybe in the times when you feel like the best thing I can do for Avery is constantly be worried about her and be strategizing new ways to fix her life. Think to yourself, okay, that doesn't work when she does it. So it's not going to work when I do it. Very good point. Yeah. Listen, listen, I've been an alcoholic and a friend to alcoholics for a long time. I uh, definitely, definitely have gone through years where I'm just like, what everyone needs from me is crisis mode. And then, you know, five years later, you're like, that didn't help. And it's been five years and I'm very tired. Maybe <laughs> and everyone should... else is really alienated. It's so strange. <laughs> it's so weird how controlling and attempting to manage the situation did not result in a sustainable and controllable situation. Mods? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's weird how that is. Yeah. <laughs> That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 